Wheeling Aviation Podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Welcome to episode 311. Many of you have challenges when learning to fly or adding a rating. I encourage you to keep pursuing your wings and aviation goals. Today I have someone who has an inspirational message for you and knows how to overcome numerous challenges during their learning process. Keith Young is author of Expect Turbulence, an inspirational read. I think everyone will be able to relate to at least one of the challenges he overcame during his journey to his pilot certificate. Joining me today are Bill English and Leslie Cobble. Uh, Bill, welcome uh, to the podcast. You haven't been on in a little while, and I know that it's a little bit cold where you are, and I think there's the possibility of... Uh, of a little bit of snow in your area. So welcome uh, to the show here, Bill. And uh, Leslie Cobble, again, uh, one of our newer co-hosts, who's also going to be, uh, might, you might see her at Sun and Fun Radio. Uh, welcome, Leslie. It's great to see you here also. Um, but the person that we are introducing today is somebody who's uh, just a, a, a terrific person, has been on Sun and Fun Radio, uh, and that's uh, Keith Young. Keith is an author of a, an incredible book. Uh, I've been reading it. I haven't finished it, Keith. I'm almost done. So, so don't give me a spoiler at the end. You know, I want to I make sure I get everything in here. Uh, but it's a terrific read. It's actually been, it was, the reason I'm having you on is because it, it inspired me to do this episode. And I'm hopefully we're going to inspire some people to get out there and fly. So welcome to the show, Keith. Well, thank you very much. And um, hello to everyone else. Hello to Leslie. Hello to Bill. Um, and I am looking forward to sort of sharing my story and getting people um, excited if they're in a... Um, you know they're they're sort of stuck. Um, share some information about how to move forward um, in their life, and uh, pretty much if if there's a an issue with getting um, getting your pilot's license, uh, I dealt with it. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. And and boy, I tell you, when I was reading the book, I was like, gosh, you know, I think everybody can learn from something you talked about in here. Um, but uh, but tell us a little bit about yourself, Keith, before we get started with uh, with the expect turbulence. Uh, you're someone who comes from the Northeast, I think, in Massachusetts. That's correct. I'm up here in Massachusetts, and um, so I have been a lifelong aviation enthusiast. Um, but when I was in my 20s, I was diagnosed with kidney disease, um, and so I thought that it was never going to be possible for me to become a pilot. I um, got involved with uh, flight simulation, and I was using my flight simulator and, and sort of building it out and so forth, and my partner Barbara says to me one day, she's going like, you know, if you're going to spend all that money on fake flying, maybe you ought to try really flying. And, you know, and so I looked into it and learned about the uh, sport pilot certificate, and I um, found a place that had that. And uh, when I met with the flight school, I, um, you know, I told them about what I was trying to do. I wasn't trying to pursue a career in aviation. I just, you know, I just love of flying. And they, um, they sort of told me that, you know, it should take you, I don't know, 18 months, cost you about um, $6,000 maybe. Um, six years, six different airplanes, four different flight instructors. Uh, three different flight schools at four different um, airports and a bucket load of money. Um, and so after airplane number four sort of disappeared, they uh, found metal in the engine and took it offline. Uh, Barbara, you know, again says to me, this is unbelievable. Nobody would believe what you're going through. Um, you ought to write you know, you ought to write something about that. And I thought, yeah, that could be a really interesting article. Uh, 300 plus, plus pages afterwards, 
Um, but what I've, what I've since learned is that my story is, is not that unique. Yeah, I, I, I had a, a number of challenges that other people may not have had, uh, but I thought nobody went through this. Everybody goes through this. Absolutely. And at least one of the things I think you you may have had maybe a few more challenges than most because including uh, some of the other things and we'll get to that as far as the, you know, the, the things you had physically that you've had to deal with. Um, but it's uh, it's apropos the title uh, just in that discussion that you just had as to uh, expecting turbulence, not just in flying, but also in life. Right. That's correct. Um, and which is where the title came from, uh, you know, um, when, when one is looking um, at a storm, you can sort of see that it's coming, you can see it on the horizon, you can prepare for it and get ready. Um, turbulence, you know, you know it may be out there, but um, when it hits, you just have to hold on and get through it because um, there is, you know, and, and it can come from nowhere. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's uh, something that we uh, try to plan for, uh, you know, contingency planning is turbulence and expect turbulence is something we should all expect no matter what. I mean, so it is hard to predict. It really is just like most things in life. Um, but let's get a little more granular though in your process here. I think one of the things that everybody's under the impression that it's just like driving a car, right? They say, Oh, I, you can do that. And, and sometimes we promote that a little too much on in, in the media, but it really, it's a challenge to actually learn to fly, isn't it? Well, it sure is. And, and um, you know, I, I, I had a full-time job. Um, I was a director of IT services for a school department. Um, I had as many as nine people working for me. And I was trying to squeeze in my flight lessons uh, by taking a, um, a quarter of a vacation day uh, early in the morning. And um, so first piece of advice, don't do that. Um, <laughs> It, it, it was too much of, of stress trying to make sure that I got back to um, the office, trying to make sure that I had enough um, time. I didn't really feel comfortable being able to debrief after the, after the lessons because, you know, I had to get going. Um, so that's, you know, that's, that's one of the, the things that I, that I really want people to understand is that flying is, is not only difficult, it's not hard. I mean, almost anybody can fly, but it's, it, it, it's challenging and it takes a lot of, a lot of effort and time. Yeah. I think that's a great, uh, piece of advice. First of all, is to not do that, not to try to work and also do the, the flying at the same time, especially coming right after work. But um, one of the things I think that's really important is for people to realize that there is going to be an effort that has to be put forth uh, in doing this. And the, and it's and that's the that's part of the reason we do it, isn't it? Don't you think, Keith? Oh, yeah. I mean, it, 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 because it's it's a challenge. Uh, I was looking for a challenge um, and I was looking to be able to uh, achieve a dream. Uh, I'd always wanted to do this. I, I wanted to understand how airplanes actually worked. I wanted to be able to say that I get this. Um, I wanted to share in the community. Um, and, and I was, you know, I, I was, I'd been involved with the, with the Air and Space Museum since 2014. And one of the conversations that Barbara and I had was, you know, if, if you're going to be if you're going to be in there, you know, you, you need to go all the way because no one's going to respect your opinion if, if you haven't been through it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So some of the things that I think are similar to other things that we do that are difficult in, in life in general, whether it's college or losing weight or going to the gym is. And this is something that you describe in the book I think was really cool. This is one of the big takeaways for me is that we all at different times have different plateaus, don't we? Yes, we do. And uh, and that's something that you ran into during that process. How did you get through that? How did you get through that that plateau to get to the next point, whatever it may be in your training? Um, it, it, you know, uh, sometimes I wanted to quit. Um, sometimes I, you know, uh, I, I got really depressed. I, I, I had a really good support structure in, in, in my partner. She, you know, she, she told me that, um, you know, yeah, you can quit, but this is something that you'll always regret if you don't 
don't keep moving forward. And, and I can't stress enough how important it is to have someone on your side to be a cheerleader for to to make sure that that they are working for you with you uh, understand you know one of the things that I did when I first started is I said you know I'm gonna do this during the week it's not going to interfere with any of our time on the weekend well um, as time went on I can't tell you how many times uh, she was sitting in the parking lot at the flight school uh, on a Saturday morning waiting for us to be able to do something while I was up in the air. Yeah, and that's great that you had that support. What's interesting, too, is many times it's somebody who's very close to us, but also at times it's somebody that we don't even know, and we, we wind up finding at the airport, and they become our mentor. And that's something that, that shocked me. I was wondering if you had that experience where there was somebody who gave you some type of encouragement that maybe was even a stranger. Well, <laughs> excuse me. <coughs> well, I actually didn't, but I am a, a big um, proponent for that. I think that the aviation industry really needs to work hard on pairing people with potential mentors. Um, because when you're struggling, when you're, you know, and you're going, I, I just don't get this. And flight instructors are, are great. I, I, I try to be positive about all of the flight instructors that I dealt with. They, they, were, they were really good. But they are there for you to learn how to fly. And when, when you're not getting stuff, it, you know, it, it's, it's better to sit down with someone and, and have them go, okay, let's go over this again. Let me explain how a pitot tube really works and what's actually happening and and why the static port needs to be unblocked and, 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 and all, of, all of those pieces so that you can identify what you're not getting. Because the, <sighs> flight instructors, and this is just how it is, flight instructors compartmentalize pieces of flying. But having someone to explain how the whole system integrates and so that you have an understanding of okay so that when you get to emergency procedures and so forth it makes sense and you're not going like I don't, I don't get this absolutely so though so this is an important role as the instructor going back to what you said though about mentors and you're a big proponent of that um, I know I try to get people involved in many different chapters, et cetera. What in like, I don't know, EAA, women in mm -hmm. aviation, whatever it may be. What, what would you suggest someone do? Oh, no, I, uh, I think EAA is coming on board uh, with a mentor program, with their Eagles program. They are starting to develop that a little bit more to, to understand, you know, that let's go have a cup of coffee type of uh, relationship so that you can ask questions and not feel stupid. One of the problems I had is I didn't want to feel stupid in front of my flight instructor. Um, you know, because he had already told me this three times, and I'm still not getting it. And, you know, what I needed was, was someone to just go, you know, can, can we go over this again? Because I just don't get it. Yeah, absolutely. That's actually something that I think some of those groups that you see in like in college atmosphere, they have those study groups. We don't see quite as much outside of the college atmosphere. And that's really cool uh, when we do have those type of groups and kind of study groups. And I've seen that uh, pop up uh, around. And I think that's something I know Leslie's been a big proponent of that. And it's something I think going forward is, is a great thing to do. Um, and not only from the perspective of flight training, but also there's another half of this that I think people don't realize. And, you know, obviously I do a lot of career counseling. It's the whole part with the medical issue. And I think people, they, they don't have someone to go to to discuss that, especially if they have, have medical issues. Uh, so let's kind of pivot to that as far as health issues. I know you've had a few. Um, it, would you mind maybe uh, relating to us what that was and possibly the, the challenges you had? Oh, sure. So, so I was diagnosed with having... Um 
kidney failure. Um, like I mentioned, I was in my 20s. I, I um, was on dialysis for five years. I was blessed to receive a kidney transplant. Um, I was in my 30s when I received my first kidney transplant. It lasted 10 years. Um, and so that puts me in my 40s when my kidney failed again. Um, and a lot of people don't know this. They, they, they just add them. So I, I actually have four. Um, so, um, but I was on dialysis again for, for three more years um, and was blessed a, a, a second time um, in 2009 for receiving, um, receiving my kidney. And um, in, uh, also in 2006, I actually um, had been out um, on a trip on my motorcycle and I was diagnosed with uh, Legionella which is basic, basically Legionnaire's disease so um, that uh, put me in the hospital and that exacerbated the, the kidney issue so I came out of the hospital on, on dialysis in 2006 um, but yeah I started my, um, my pursuing of my pilot's license in 2013 how did you go about the process of getting a medical, and was there someone to help you through that process? So, so I started by uh, working on my sport pilot, and I went to um, the DPE, and I said, um, you know, I, I, I want to fly on my, on my driver's license. I want to get my sport pilot. Um, can you sign me off um, uh, for my student pilot certificate? And he went, okay. And so I started flying uh, with no medical um, for my sport pilot. Then uh, basic med came in, and I was very interested in that. And I was able to go to um, a, uh, a medical examiner, and I had I get I got everything lined up with my nephrologist. And he uh, gave me everything that I would need that the um, the uh, the doctor asked for, and brought all of that, and I was able to get a um, special issuance that expired in August of 2016. But basic med kicked in in July and so I just started flying on basic med and those and by the way for those people that don't understand uh, what basic med is and also what uh, what we're just talking about as far as sport pilot we're gonna have links down below uh, but this enables you to actually uh, fly uh, with a driver's license and the second part with basic med and we won't get too much into it because we could do a whole episode just on basic med uh, and oh and absolutely it, it's awesome but you basically have you and your GP decide uh, your health status and uh, and it, there's more to it than that but that's kind of my, my general overview well well let me let me be clear right um, because uh, yes I, I I fly on basic med but I I essentially have five doctors that I check in with on a regular basis. These individuals know me much better than some, you know, medical examiner uh, person who, who is going to see me every two years and, and I have to go in. Now, if you're going to go commercial, um, absolutely, uh, you know, go through that process. If you're relatively healthy, Go through that process, um, you know. But what basic med allows is people who have special circumstances like me um, to be able to get into the air and, and actually be able to enjoy um, aviation. Absolutely, Leslie. I think you you actually had a question. Yeah. Hey, Keith. So I flew on basic med for a couple of years. Now, granted, it was back several years ago when it first really came into existence. But my experience was my family doctor, my general practitioner was really hesitant about signing me off for the actual medical exam. Was that your experience? It sounds like you had a good support of your medical community. Well, so I, I, I um, 
I approached my, my GP uh, with all the paperwork. I said, can you take a look at this? This is what the situation is. I explained how it works, why I want to do that. Um, she took it for about, I don't know, three or four weeks and came back to me and she and basically what she said you know this is no different than what I do for for truck drivers for for all of these other um, commercial uh, interests for people who who, who are driving um, and she said yeah this is no problem at all with that said though I think in general like I hang out with some GPs and and you know a social basis and I think when they start thinking about the fact that they are about to sign somebody off to go fly an airplane, there's a little reticence, I'll be honest with you, through some of the personal conversations with that. I would never call them out. Uh, but, um, but really, the person that I feel knows my health situation the best is my GP. And uh, I would love for him to get involved in that process. It just makes sense. Um, there is another comment, and again, we we'll, we'll, won't we'll get involved too much in this, but when they talk about the actual medical process, uh, the comment I hear many times is, is this is like from the Stone Age, the way we go about getting our medicals and aviation medicals. So. <laughs> well, and let me, let me add that, that this wasn't out of the blue with, with, with my GP. I mean, she knew that I was working on my pilot's license. She knew where I was at. She, so, so, I mean, more than just going in and checking me physically, we, we were having conversations about what I was actually doing. So she was totally familiar with where I was at um, in my life, what I was trying to achieve and so forth. And so she had no issues. Absolutely. With that. That's awesome. That, that's terrific. To you. And, and, and by the way, let me, let me say that um, that GP left. I have a new GP, and she had no problem signing me off either. Well, that's cool. I, good. There's a good handoff there, so that's terrific. Mm -hmm. You know, getting your medical, we talk about, you know, getting started and, and not being afraid to even give it a try. I think the biggest thing people do is, get, is jump right in and, and uh, take a, a discovery flight when they're thinking about flying. And even if you have all these challenges, because just the things we just started talking about, basic med and sport pilot and all that, they're going to they're gonna probably tell you a little bit about that at the airport, possibly, depending on the type of school it is, right? Um, but another thing that I always relate to people, and I remember when I started as a flight instructor, my boss told me the thing that makes airplanes fly is money. Uh, the next thing that makes airplanes fly is time. And I think you had uh, some challenges in both of those arena, arenas. And uh, I think my boss at the time leaned more towards the money. So I wonder what, what you feel. If you had to order them, would it be time or money or money and time? So I would absolutely put time ahead of money. Um, okay. And, and the reason I say that is because um, if you want to do something, you can find the money. But it's really hard to find the time. Um, that, re that requires a commitment um, that impacts other people, typically. Um, and so to, to be able to do that, and, and, and I, um, you know, if it were just a one-hour flight, you know, you go to the airport, it's a one-hour flight, and, and you're back, you know, that's, that's not a big deal. But Taking flight lessons is, is much more than that. It is having to get to the airport, prep the plane, go through a pre-flight, do the actual flight, um, do a pre-brief, and then do the actual flight, then do a post-brief, then uh, leave the airport to go wherever you're going. But also, prior to that, you should have known what you were going to do there and what you're going to do the next time. And, and that's homework. And that homework, you know, I, I figure for every hour of flight, it's another at least hour at the airport plus another three hours of, of prep time per lesson. So, so, you know, that starts adding up. And, and if you're trying to go three, three lessons a week, which uh, at least up here in the Northeast, you have to schedule at least three lessons a week because if you're lucky, you get in two. Um, and, you know, but you have to, you have to figure, out, figure in all that time. And it's a part-time job. 
now if you're working a full-time job and you're working a part-time job that's that's a lot of commitment for time which comes back to having that support system yeah absolutely you know interestingly a, a question I'll ask you and then I'll, I'd like to ask Bill and Leslie is that um, what would you recommend I think you just said two to three times a week uh, and and just expect one of those to be canceled would you recommend that two times to three times a week absolutely so yeah. so I was I was trying to book two times a week I was lucky if I got one in um, you know between snow and, and and I had the airport closed one time for for a period of about three months um, you know <laughs> excuse me <coughs> I'll share this story so it's December. I'm up in the Northeast. We get a big, huge snowstorm. Uh, I get a call from my flight instructor, and he says, you know, uh, the airport's closed, so we're going to have to cancel the lesson today. And I was like, great. When, um, and this was in December. And I say, well, you know, when should, um, when should I reschedule? He said, usually about March. Uh, and, and, and so, you know, and, and what can you do? Uh, of course, by, by March... Everything that I had learned during the period before, I had to relearn. And so it's one of those things where you need, you need to understand. And one of the things that I talk about, and I, and I recommend this for, for people, um, you don't have to quite become uh, as obsessive as I did, but my, I, my lessons got canceled so many times that I actually started keeping a no-fly logbook so that really? I could go back and see the date that I had planned to fly, look it up, and see why I had canceled or been forced to cancel or whatever. Um, that helped me when I was writing the book, but, but what it did is occasionally when I felt like I was not making progress, I would go back and look at that and go, okay, so, you know, it snowed here. We, we, it was, you know, gusting to 35 miles per hour on this date. Uh, the airplane had a problem with the engine that it was in, in maintenance for three weeks and, and so forth. So, you know, all of, all of those contributing factors were part of what I had difficulty with going through this process. Interesting. You know, I wonder what uh, Bill English, who's uh, chief pilot of a chief instructor for a uh, flight school that's in that that mid-Atlantic states. Bill, you know, as as far as you know, listening to Keith, is, it's terrific. I love hearing from someone who's been through this process. Now, let's switch to you when you're talking to people that are coming into the school. What what do you tell them as far as what they should expect and how many lessons they should actually uh expect to can or excuse me expect to actually <laughs> i noticed i said cancel but actually schedule right. per week right. <laughs> no it's uh, i mean i i'm listening to keith and it's uh, it's almost word for word um a training module that that i have here at big red that we give to our cfis because this is the kind of thing that they don't teach you in cfi school this is not in the instructor's handbook. Um, three times a week, absolutely. That is exactly what we tell people to schedule, more if they can. Um, there's going to be those um, troubles. I'm from the Northeast. I know I feel your pain of New England weather. Um, we, had a, we had a good winter last year in the Mid-Atlantic. Not so great this year. No. Uh, pile of snow outside my window right now. So the weather's going to happen. Um, you know, things, other things are going to kick in. Uh, aircraft maintenance, whether it's something breaks or heavily used airplanes, as we know, have periodic maintenance. They have to go down. And uh, if you hadn't heard, there's a pilot shortage. There's also a maintenance technician shortage. That doesn't help either, right? So those things are going to happen. It's inevitable, even the best run school. Um, so yeah, what Keith is saying is exactly right. I would tell, and I do tell um, prospective students the same thing. And we try to teach our instructors that as well, that this is a whole process. It's not just um, this lesson today and that's it, right? Homework counts, the time counts, and time is definitely the issue. I also agree 100% with what Keith, Keith said. Time is usually the thing that works against student retention, not so much money. By the time they get to uh, flight training, most people, they're already in a position to where they realize they're getting into something expensive. 
Interesting. You know, it's interesting because, you know, from my perspective, I teach at a school where uh, they have to be there and they're getting paid to be there. And uh, we actually do five days a week and uh, that gets them through very quickly. But even at five days a week, we have cancellations and and I'm working in a simulator primarily. So it can happen. You talked about the shortage. I mean, just maintaining those simulators. You know, uh, Leslie Cobbles actually has run a flight school in, a, in another part of the world, uh, which has other challenges. And that's actually in, in Maui. Uh, and so what would you suggest to somebody who's in, and that's a challenging environment itself. Are you still the same attitude of maybe three times a week? Yeah, if you can, I mean, like Bill said, three times a week, four, if you can fit it in, um, at least from a scheduling standpoint is ideal. Uh, but keeping in mind, I mean, Keith made some good points about, you know, and this is, that is exactly what I would tell potential students and parents of potential students is for every hour, hour and a half that you have a flight lesson, you have to count in that commute time. You've got to count in your debrief time, restroom time, and all of your ground study. And I think and this one thing I wanted to ask Keith about is, you know, how does he advise those future pilots? What tips does he give from that managing their expectations and then their progress throughout the flight training process? Because I did find myself on the phone uh, just every phone call would last an hour, hour and a half because they think it's like a horseback riding lesson. They show up, they ride in the airplane, they go home and they wait until the next lesson. And you're just not going to move forward quickly at all, if at all, if you take that approach to it. And I just think a lot of, a lot of potential students don't realize the, uh, the challenge that it is. It's going to be a wild ride in the best of conditions. But then when you add on money and time and, you know, health issues and all of the things that Keith has talked about, um, it's something that you just need to take a step back. Doesn't mean you don't do it, but you just need to have those uh, expectations in the right place and kind of gauge the way you're going to move forward and progress in your training. So I have people come into the museum, um, and, and they want to get their pilot's license. And, and, and the first thing that I tell them is that you need to understand you own your flight training. Your flight, this isn't, this isn't school. You own that. Your flight instructor is going to teach you to fly. But it's your responsibility to learn and to be clear about coming prepared, knowing what you're you're there for, um, and I, I I really like my first flight instructor, um, but I would I, you know I'd go out to the airfield and it would be I don't know eight o'clock in the morning, and we'd get in the plane and we'd start up, and he'd be like, okay, what do you want to do today? And I'm going, I don't know. Uh, I have no idea, you know, and so shame on me. I didn't understand then that I needed to be responsible for what I was learning. And I expected my flight instructor to just teach me how to fly. And so the biggest piece of advice I give to anyone who's just, you know, thinking about it is they need to approach this with an understanding that they are responsible. The flight instructor is not responsible for you learning how to fly. They're responsible for keeping you safe and making sure that you are taught the pieces that are going to operate the airplane, but that, you know, you need to understand that what it is that's happening for you and if you're having trouble with a certain piece um you know you you need to have that conversation with the flight instructor before you get in the airplane because in the airplane is the wrong time to do that um so you know um we got to the point where uh i had changed you know i i, I was much further along and um, I had changed flight instructors uh, because my flight instructor at the place that I was at was um, the owner and he was just busy. But he, he said to 
me that he had told the flight instructor, I'll know what I need to learn. He said that, you know, when I go, when I go up, um, I'm going, I, the flight instructor is not going to have to tell me what I did wrong. I will tell the flight instructor what I did wrong. And so I had taken ownership of my learning to the point that I recognized the mistakes that I made and pointed them out to my flight instructor and was saying that, you know, I need to do better here. I need to work on this. I need to do that. And that just changed the whole dynamic. Absolutely. The learner taking control of actually their their learning outcomes by giving feedback to themselves and to their instructors. I think also an important point before Leslie asks her question is that um, one of the things that helps a lot is having a syllabus. And I think that actually the notes in a syllabus helps tremendously. Um, you know, I can go away for a week and it doesn't matter because I have a syllabus, I have notes, and the next instructor can take you while I'm on vacation and continue on your education as if nothing happened uh, because they have those notes. And I think that's really important, too, to stress is, is the possibility of a, a syllabus that's also controlled by the student who has a copy of that, especially if you're one that does uh, change to different uh, schools. Leslie, you had a question? Yeah. In case I just to kind of follow back on that is, you know, I love how you put it that you have to take ownership as a flight training student. And Bill, how I, I love how your school has that course for your CFIs. It's just kind of taking that handling of your clients to the next level. Uh, because managing your flight training is a lot like nowadays we have to manage our own health care and you've got to review your own charts and make sure you're being given the right medication. And, you know, I know from my personal experience, I, so many times, especially in my instrument and commercial training, I would show up to the airport and my instructor would say, hey, what are we doing today? And like, I don't know, you tell me you're the flight instructor. And I learned really fast that I've just got to, I've got to take my training into my own hands if I'm going to progress you know, and it, the speed that I wanted to progress and, and do it efficiently and cost effectively. But Keith, I wanted to ask you because I watched, I haven't been able to read all of your book yet. I've read a portion of it, but I did watch a video where you spoke at a conference yesterday and you talked about a flight that you had in Hawaii. And I've got probably 85% of my hours are in the Hawaiian islands. So I wanted to hear more about that flight, and what did you learn on that lesson? So um, it was it was fairly early on, um, but my uh, stepdaughter actually lives on Oahu, and we went out to visit her, and I had seen that you can take a flight lesson um, when you're on vacation, and I was like, okay, that's for me. Um, so I, I I booked a. Uh, I, I booked a, a, a flight instructor and we went out um, and it was kind of a scenic tour around Oahu. Uh, he asked me, you know, what do you want to do? And I, I was like, well, I'm on vacation, but, you know, I, I, I want to fly. But, I, you know, so we do, uh, flew down past uh, Honolulu out um, around Diamond Head, past the Makapu'u uh, light. And, and then he said, um, so, we're, so we're heading up the, the east side of the island. And he says, do you want to do something really cool? And I was like, uh, sure. And so he said, well, see that mountain? Head right for that mountain. And I was like, okay. So um, we're getting closer and we're getting closer and we're getting closer. And now I, I'm, I'm at, I don't know, 2,000 feet. I mean, we're not, we're not high at all. And all of a sudden, the pass opens off to my left, and we flew down through the Pali Pass um, from the east side to the west side of the island, and it was just amazing. Uh, it, it was it was absolutely beautiful, and I recommend if you're going to go somewhere, and you are a student, take the time to book a lesson where you're going um, it gives you experience with a different flight instructor uh, it gives you the opportunity to see things that other people don't get to see um, you are you know it's, it depends on where you are uh, so I was uncomfortable with the radio work 
So the instructor took all of the radio work flying through the Class Bravo area of, of um, Honolulu, but just absolutely amazing. You know, Keith, I really admire you for doing that. And, uh, you know, that's one of my dreams is to fly in Hawaii and also Alaska. And I haven't been able to fulfill that yet, uh, even though I know somebody had a school there. Uh, but that uh, that story in your book, by the way, was one of my favorite stories. And uh, you just read it just for that. That's terrific. Um, but I, I absolutely enjoyed writing that. That 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 was a blast. Yeah, absolutely. A terrific read there. And by the way, the whole book is a terrific read. For those that are looking for it, we'll have links in the show notes. It's uh, available in in the uh, Kindle, it's also available in other uh, stores and also on a print version too. Uh, and we'll have it in the bottom of the show notes. But uh, but just to, to finish up as far as the the as far as the syllabus and things like that and the and the flight schools and the teaching, uh, one thing and I think both Leslie and Bill talked about is enabling instructors to do a better job by learning from other instructors. And the school I work for, we have a thing called Teach the Teacher. And we get the teacher actually observing a flight. And I think that's a, that's an incredible thing to do. And I think I would put that forth to anybody out there who's thinking about working for a flight school or working with a flight school. Is, hey, find out what they do to actually promote the professional development of their flight instructors. Uh, so that's incredibly important. Well, and you talked about time, and part of that time and making more efficient, obviously, is the syllabus. But one thing I don't want to gloss over, because I think we may have a little bit, is the money side of things. Uh, money is still an important part of this training. So let's talk a little bit about that and how you went about uh, and what you would suggest someone do to prepare themselves for this flight training from a financial perspective. So, yeah, uh, you know, uh, flying is not inexpensive. Uh, that's that's just a fact. Um, but talk with the flight school. See if they offer programs where if you put a chunk of money in, that you get a discount. Um, if you you know see see if they offer gift certificates, right? You know. So one of the things that I got is I, I got a gift certificate uh, for my birthday one year. Uh, it's five hundred bucks, and you know those are the kinds of things. If you make people aware that you know you you're doing this thing, it's it's possible that some funding can can become available. Um, you know, and you got to be creative sometimes about that. But one of the other things that I want to mention is um, boating is expensive, skiing is expensive, golf is expensive. Um, you know, there are lots of things that people do. Uh, vacations are expensive uh, that cost money, and so it's about it's about priority and. If you go on vacation and you have a really great time, that's wonderful. But if you get your pilot's license, you have that for the rest of your life. And and that is something that you can exercise that all through the rest of, of your existence. And it can become part of your vacations. So, you know, it's... It's about perspective and looking at an investment in yourself and, you know, what are you worth to you? And so, is it expensive? Yeah. And if, you know, if, look, I have three kids, um, I had a house, I had, you know, there was no way I could afford, afford to fly. Um, when I was in my, when I was in my you know, 20s, 30s, 40s. I, c I couldn't afford to do it. Um, but as I approach 50 years old, I'm going like, you know, kids are grown. They're out of the house. Um, and I have a little bit more disposable income. And instead of spending that money on things that were fleeting, I wanted to invest in myself prove to myself that I was capable um, and you know look it's really cool to be able to go yeah I'm a pilot it, it just is you know it, it, you don't see anybody going like hey I'm a golfer you know um, it, it, because that's okay but that doesn't have the same ring 
to it. Not that we're we're putting down golf at all because that's, that's no, just no, no, good not at all. Accomplishment, but, <laughs> you know, but I, I, I get what you're saying. It is a quite an accomplishment. I mean, not many people in a room can say that they're a pilot. And look at the numbers. Uh, you know, there's there's so many pilots out, or, or so many golfers out there compared to the number of pilots. I'd like to get that stat. I'm gonna have to look that one up. Uh, but that's a great that's a great analogy, and uh, and I think. The fact that if you really want to do something, you can, and that is just one hurdle is the is the financial part. And uh, and by the way, I didn't mention this in the beginning of the show. Our new uh, 2024 version of the scholarships guide came out, uh, and you can actually click on the side of the screen for the scholarships there. Those scholarships are for everybody uh, and people that are looking to further their ratings. So, like you just said, you know, look outside the box. Everybody thinks scholarships are just for young people. There's scholarships for everybody out there. Uh, so people want you to move forward in the career, and there's a lot of industries out there like ours that that give scholarships out. Uh, but these scholarships are actually to promote our industry because it helps everybody, I think. Uh, but having that license, having that certificate, uh, I think people don't realize it. it's forever. I mean, you can say you're a pilot for the rest of your life, and I think it's an incredible accomplishment. And I think everybody, I think everybody should do it, or at least give it a shot uh, in, in moving forward in their life in general. It's something that I think uh, you know you will find you can use not just in your personal life, but also in your business life. Those lessons that you learn in the cockpit. Um, but when you're looking at you know, and I love the analogy. Because that's where we, as far as golf and skiing and boating, because that's what we're actually competing with is all those other recreational activities. And we have to realize that as instructors and as people that run flight schools and uh, is that, you know, we are, those are our customers. And a lot of times we aren't treated like customers, which leads me to my next point is how do you go about finding a flight school or an instructor? Because if I went to go get, buy a car, there's going to be a lot of people being real friendly when I walk in the door. I haven't really had that experience when I go into a flight school. And I'd wonder uh, what your experience was and how you would go about or recommend going about finding a flight school and an instructor. So, so one of the things, um, you have to be self-aware. So, so before you even go out looking for a flight school, do some self-analysis. What is really going to irritate you? Um, and so know what, you know what pushes your buttons. Because, and I can tell you what, what it was for me. I was almost 50 years old, and I knew that I couldn't take flight lessons from a 24-year-old. It just wasn't going to work for me. And there was a lot of 24-year, 25, 26-year-old flight instructors. But I'm, I'm going, this isn't, this, this isn't going to fit my bill, you know, because I'm double this person's age. And they don't have the life experience that I have. And so we're not going, we're not going to mesh. So my first flight instructor was a little bit older than I was. He's probably about 10 years older than I was. He uh, had flown for the airlines, and he could fly anything. So, so um, he gave me confidence in his ability to operate the airplane no matter what I did. And that was something that, that worked for me because I didn't know anybody in the aviation industry. I mean, I didn't have an uncle or a father or or a brother, or any, anybody, sister, you know, aunt, um, didn't mean to be, you know, identifying certain people, um, in that I could go with that person and understand what was happening in the cockpit. So my first lesson in, um, in the airplane was my second time being in a small plane. And I had, you know, I had no idea really what was going on, but the experience of the flight instructor gave me confidence. Now, we ran into some issues, and I talk about this in the book a little bit, um, that had nothing to do with that particularly, um, and... If I were to do it again, I, I would now know how to do it differently. Um, but know what works for you. 
So the same way with my second flight instructor, um, I well actually my third flight instructor, my second flight instructor was fine, but but she was only there for a short period of time. Um, my third flight instructor again, he owned the flight school. He knew flying backwards and forwards, and the same way with my last flight instructor. That all of these people knew the. Had had been around for a long time. Now, if, if you're you know if you're 18 years old, 17 years old, and, and and you're trying to to learn how to fly, you don't have those life experiences that are going to put you off. And you might want someone who's in their 20s, who's going to better relate to you, and you can have a conversation about things that are outside there. So you can so you can make that connection, and you can mesh. So be aware of who's of who's going to work for you, and, and because you know a cockpit is really small, and you are really close. And if if this person that is sitting next to you is is not someone that you're comfortable with, you need to move on and find another flight instructor. Again, remember you're the customer. And you're responsible, and you're paying, you know, and you may have to try out a number of flight instructors before you find one that clicks. That's some great advice. Boy, you know, there's, I love what you said. You are the customer, and uh, and finding a flight instructor who clicks with you. Maybe if you're younger, you would, you know, rather go with someone that's younger, or maybe someone who's older, but you never know. It, it all depends on, on the individual uh, what resonates with them, but the most important thing is what resonates with you, and I think that's something I think that, that you kind of were making a point there. You talk a lot about this in your book. Uh, I know we only have about 10 minutes left, but I want to say one thing. Uh, all the And we've been talking for a while here. All the, the stories and everything are just amplified in the book and there's so many more and i really highly would suggest you going out there and checking out the book i'll have, uh in the show notes i'll have links but but keith where can they find this i know in 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 amazon but where else is it available so so it's it's primarily available at amazon um i, I i've had it at a couple of local bookstores um but if you're at sun and fun i will be at the author's corner um, and so I will be signing books there. Um, I will probably be, well, I'm going to try to be at um, Oshkosh again this year. Uh, I was at the Author's Corner two years ago. Um, I did a forum last year where I signed some books and so forth. Um, and so, you know, um, but you can just reach out to me at key, uh, dot books at gmail.com um and you know we'll we'll figure something out so I'll, like i said i'll have some links in the bottom of the, the show notes here for all of that and uh and keith we could talk about five more hours on on all the different topics we just touched on we could do a whole podcast on each of those different subjects but i think some of the key points here uh and and one of the biggest things uh that you keyed on in the beginning I think that's incredibly important when you're doing something that is, you know, important to you and also is difficult is to have that that support system and finding out who that is is really important. It could be your spouse. It could be a friend. Uh, and I think that's that's incredibly important. It's a point that you make in this book that I really wanted to emphasize and that you did in the beginning of this is that really having somebody there for you is, is terrific. And I think your partner was uh, somebody who was a big support. For you throughout the process oh absolutely uh barbara was a was a you know a, a major uh factor in me being able to get through um you know and, and i'm not gonna lie I, I i was ready to quit a number of times and i actually had to ground myself which was one of the hardest things that i ever did um and and i talk about this and i don't know if, if you're quite there carl in the book when when i when i actually had to to, to stop flying because um, I recognized that I was dangerous. Mm -hmm. I was dangerous to myself. I was dangerous to others. I had a lot of stuff happening in my life, and I went, y you know what? I, ju I just need to take a break. And that's important to recognize that. Um, but you also want to stay 
actually involved in aviation. That's why it's great to listen to these podcasts and read books, et cetera. It's just good sometimes to step back. I'm glad you actually recognized that, that it was time to, hey, listen, this is where we need, we need to pull back and rethink what we're doing here. And, and you did, and you overcame that by having somebody who's in that support system. One thing I do want to mention, though, is that you know we talk about vacation, we talk about hobbies. The real reason we do this, and most things in life, is to enjoy it. You got to have fun. I mean, when when you find yourself, you know, having a challenge, whatever, and I know I do this with my students, is I can see that they're having a tough time. I'll say, hey, look at the whale down there, or look at the manatee. I'm here in Florida, uh, but you have to have, uh, you know, some fun, and maybe it's time to stop and enjoy yourself. And I'm, you know, Keith, what is what is it that you did during that period to still keep it fun and keep it alive? The passion well I, I did it wrong um, which is which is why I, I, I think it's important to understand this uh, you know part of the reason that I wrote the book is so that people can see what I did and don't do that and so I spent so much time focusing on trying to get to the end that I lost track of where I was you know and, and, and we would be flying you know so it's, so it snowed a little bit um, up here last night I wouldn't see any of that you know I would be flying and I was concentrating so much and and occasionally I again you 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 need to own your training but occasionally I you know we we're right we're right near the coast I should have said you know what let's just go out for a flight let's just go out and fly around and enjoy the beautiful day um, yeah we can talk a little bit about doing stalls and we can talk a little bit about doing this but let's not let's let's just go out so that when we come back I can get in the car, drive away, and go, I enjoyed that. Too many times I would get in the car and drive away and would beat myself up for the next hour about what I did wrong. And so don't do that. So the piece of advice I have is don't do that. If you find yourself doing that, Talk to your flight instructor and go. I, look, we need we need to change things up a little bit. Um, and you know maybe that means just going to somewhere uh, remote, landing at an airport that you've never been to, understanding how that goes, get a cup of coffee, and and fly back, and just do it for the fun of it. Absolutely. Keith, I think uh, that's been, uh, I think that we can end there. I, I just do it for the fun of it. In general, that's why we're doing this. It's fun to learn new things, but really go out there and, and realize that this is, we're doing this because we enjoy it. It's for fun. And uh, and that's why we talk about learning to fly, loving to fly, loving to fly. It really is about loving and enjoying our lives. And it's so additive having this aviation in our background, no matter what it is, just stay involved and have fun. Keith, thanks so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Again, we'll have links to the podcast, or excuse me, to your book down below. It's Expect Turbulence, My Real Life Experience, Learning to Fly by Keith Young. And, uh, and if you go to Sun and Fun, don't forget to come visit us. We actually have a booth. It's A41 Tanger A. And also uh, the Stuck Mike Avcast crew will be at Sun and Fun Radio. We like to volunteer. That's our one thing we like to do and give back every year. And probably we'll even have Keith on at the show, hopefully. Keith, again, thanks so much for coming by. Thank you very much. And uh, everyone have a great day. Thanks so much. And and one of the things I want to point out is uh, our, our newest addition to our show, and we're going to talk more with her later, is Leslie Caldwell and also Billings. We appreciate your coming by today. Uh, and we're back uh, doing the podcast again. Uh, one of the things that it's uh, it's been a challenge uh, just for us to be able to do the podcast, a lot of the challenges that Keith went through in his book, we've had to go through here personally at, at the Stuck Mike Avcast. And that was probably one of the reasons I, I actually wanted to have you on first is what it gave me inspiration 
uh, to really get this podcast going again and get the band back together. So uh, I want to thank you, Keith, for doing that for me. I appreciate that. Uh, but uh, from myself, Leslie Cobble, Bill English, and Keith Young, we really appreciate your listening today. And don't forget to try to get out there every day and do something to increase that passion in aviation. You know, learn something. You know, live the flying adventure. But make sure you do something that's fun. And remember, we do this because we love flying. Well, we'll talk to you next episode. Safe flying out there. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast and a Valeri Aviation Corporation production.